Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So our scripture is kicking off a new sermon series on worship series that we're going to have focusing on the Great Commission. But before we get to the Great Commission, we have to go through what Jesus did to prepare us for the Great Commission. And so one of the things that you may have picked up on is that there was a mini Pentecost moment here in the gospel account of John. And you might be thinking, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, wait a second, I thought Pentecost comes from the book of Acts of the Apostles, or the book of Acts for short. And it does. The one that most of us think about as being Pentecost is when there were tongues of fire and the apostles were all in this room together, the upper room, and then the Holy Spirit came in like a loud rushing wind sound and settled upon them. And suddenly they were given these gifts that they had never had before. They could speak in languages that they had never been trained in or even addressed in. And suddenly they were able to proselytize, they were able to evangelize to others outside of the Jewish community because of this power and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we refer to as the birth of the church. And it is true and it is is perfectly valid. However, what might be confusing to you is that the book of the Acts of the Apostles is part two of the gospel account of Luke. And Luke and John don't even agree on what exactly happened on Easter. So it's not surprising that they differ on how Pentecost happened. Here in the gospel account of John, Pentecost is a little more low-key. It's actually more referential to the second creation story in Genesis. It's going all the way back to the Old Testament. In Genesis, God creates in the second creation story, the Adam creates the first man out of the dust of the earth, forms him, and then breathes into him the breath of life. And here, when Jesus appears, he breathes onto the apostles. They already have the breath of life. They're animated and living. And now they will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, this permanent blessing and presence of God so that they can continue to do the work that Jesus is about to entrust into their hands. He is about to give them the keys to the kingdom, to invite in who they will and to keep out who they want. Although there are consequences to both of those, how wide you open the doors and how close you keep them. And so he is empowering them through his visitation. Now, this is a standard text after Easter. Most people are hearing about what we call Doubting Thomas. You grew up hearing about Doubting Thomas. Oh, he doubted. And it's usually pejorative. We usually look down on Thomas for doubting. However, I'd like for us to look at Thomas in a little bit of a new way. Just imagine poor Thomas, right? He's one of the 12. He's been there. He's been faithful. He's been a believer. He's been a follower of Jesus. And he's gone. We don't know why he's gone. I like to picture him going out to get like dinner. You know how you order takeout and somebody's got to be the sacrificial lamb to go get it? So Thomas is out and all of a sudden something amazing happens while he's gone. He's gone, and Jesus shows up. The rest are hunkered down, cowering in fear that the Jews are going to come and attack them next because a crowd of Jews called for the crucifixion of Jesus. And so they're afraid that they're going to be next, and they're all banded together and and terrified. And according to the text, this is Sunday evening on the first Easter. That morning, Mary encountered the risen Christ, and when she told them, I have seen the Lord, they were like, whatever, Mary, no. 
They didn't believe. And so now here they are at night, still afraid, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in their midst. And this is really curious because the doors are locked, and yet he appears, but he's not a ghost or an ethereal spirit. He's bearing the marks of the crucifixion. He has had a bodily resurrection, and somehow, some way, he gets in there. Well, you and I know, well, he's God, and he can do whatever he wants, but they're confused. That's why he has to say twice to them, peace be with you. He gives them the greeting, and he gives it to them twice. Peace be with you. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. I am with you. And shows them, reveals to them that he is truly with them once more. And they rejoice. And then when Thomas gets back, it's like, you're not going to believe what happened when you went to go pick up the pizza over at Crozet Pizza. You won't believe it. Jesus showed up. And Thomas is like, are you kidding me? I was gone for like an hour. He had to show up now. And we often look at Thomas and go, you know what? Thomas should have just been happy that Jesus was resurrected. Well, how many of us, if we found out Jesus came to have dinner with our neighbors and not us, would be happy with that? Oh, he went to come have dinner with the Sandersons. I'll just be happy there. No, we'd be like, why didn't Jesus come out to our house? You know mom makes better bread. We would have things to say. And so he wanted that. He wants to encounter Jesus. He wants to see him, hear him again, touch him, and experience what all of his brothers in faith got to experience. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, God is so committed to this that a week later, the text says that Jesus came back. And he came back for Thomas. He came back because Thomas dared to ask. Jesus had told the apostles this. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Ask and you shall receive, said Jesus. So when Thomas says, this is what I want, I want what you had, I want this experience, Jesus comes back. Now it takes a week, who knows what Jesus was doing in that week, but is this not the lesson of Christian faith? You want it now, and God's like, all in the fullness of time. So in a week later, when Jesus shows up, now Thomas has his moment. And Jesus is very intentional about addressing Thomas. Thomas, come here, check out my hands, feel my side. He recognizes exactly what Thomas wants, and he delivers it. He gives it to him. What a powerful statement about God's commitment to us. Not only did God come back from the dead in Jesus' resurrection, but then God came to them when they were afraid and not believing, and then God came back for those who said, I want to see this too. I want the experience. The lesson in the story today is that God keeps coming back for us. The more we ask to encounter God, the more God keeps coming to us. God doesn't say it's one and done and you missed it. Instead, God is continually listening to our petitions, hearing our prayers and the desires of our hearts. And when we say we want to see you, we want to encounter you, God is willing to do that. The problem is that doesn't look the way we want it to look. And that is hard for us. No matter how mature we are physically, mentally, spiritually, it can be devastating to have things not go the right way. I'm talking about yesterday. I'll tell you what happened yesterday. So yesterday, I got up, I had my cup of coffee, got myself all ready, put on some funky but actual functional sneakers, and came over here ready to receive the truck for Rise Against Hunger because we had been pitching all during Lent that we were going to pack how many meals? 30,000 meals. That we were going to do this. 8 a.m. I get over here. Some church members are over here with me. We're like, where's the truck at? I don't know. Okay, no truck yet. All right, we'll just wait. 
By 8.50, I was having agita the likes of which I have not experienced since I was pregnant. And I'm texting Linda like, where the truck at, Linda? And Linda, through text messages like this. <laughs> I can see it. Linda's like, I'm emailing, I'm calling, nobody's answering at the office. I'm like, where is this truck? Because we've done everything that we can do. We've set up tables, we've prepped things, we've moved cars, we've gotten everything ready. But all of the supplies and the stations come from Rise Against Hunger. So now I'm sitting back here like, help me Jesus, because if 9 o'clock comes and everybody is here and there's nothing to do, we will lose people. They will walk. It's not like, oh, we'll check back in an hour. They ain't checking back in an hour. We would lose people, and it would be me and five people trying to pack 30,000 meals till 8 a.m. this morning. So it, I'm getting very panicky and upset, and yet here I am, and all of these people are embodying and showing me Jesus Christ. They're saying, what can we do in the meantime? Can we fill out forms? What can we do? How can we help get things together? And they're telling me, it'll be okay. We'll just hang out. It'll be fine. And I'm looking at my watch going, Jesus, if you don't show up at 9 o'clock with a truck full of supplies to pack 30,000 meals, I'm going to need some help. And then the truck comes. The truck comes, and people immediately get to work. Immediately. There's nothing more marking from the gospel account of Mark than that. Immediately they get to work. And we're 45 minutes late because we have to set up now. 9.45 comes, and we're getting ready to start this mission project. And people just barrel right into it. And there's patience, and they're showing the kind of love and patience. Like I want to emphasize the patience piece. The patience of Jesus Christ, it was incredible. And we just start going, and people were coming in. We had over 120 people show up to help us. And I'm thinking, this could work. This could work. But then you know what happens? Sometimes things don't meet our expectations. They didn't bring enough supplies to make 30,000 meals. We made everything they had. We made 29,814 meals. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? That piece of me is like, we were so close. We were less than 200 away. And I have perfectionist tendencies. So I was like, are you kidding me? How do we get this close? And then I, the, uh, the woman that came and was helping us from Rise Against Hunger said that she had never seen a group accomplish more except a consortium of UVA fraternities that did 35,000. I bet they had more than 120 people. For a mid-sized church, to do 29,814 meals. That's more than 3,000 3, more than we did last year. There have been entire districts of the United Methodist Church in Virginia that couldn't do 20. One church did 29,000. So, and I have to keep balancing that because there's a part of my brain that's going, we were supposed to do 30. We said we were going to do 30. We paid for over, we did 30,000. We paid for over 30,000. We raised $10,200.88 so that we could do 30,000 meals and we didn't do 30,000 meals. And so there's been a part of me that has not been happy about this. And at 9.30, I sat down with the kids, and I was sharing this with them. And I said, have you ever had something that didn't go the way you thought it was going to go, and it was kind of disappointing? And they were like, yeah. And one's telling me about a petting zoo she set up that the people didn't clean up right, and they're sharing their stories. And I'm like, I said, so what do you think we should do about the fact that we didn't get 30,000 meals? And they were like, we should celebrate. And I was like, yeah, you're right, because Jesus just showed up. Jesus just showed up and reminded me that we need to celebrate. 
And that's part of the story, is that when we're committed, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and not only reveals God's self to us, but helps us to see God in other people. So many people revealed God to me on Saturday when I was not in a place to be revealing Jesus to anybody. I was upset. I was concerned. I was anxious. I was nervous. I was everything you're not supposed to be. And here I am, like, texting Linda like crazy, and people are like, good morning, Sarah. I'm like, hi. Like, where's the truck? I'm like, I don't know. Because I'm stressed. It's stressing me out. Right? And then it reminds me time and time again that we have moments in our lives when we could just cut loose and say, you know what, I am stressed, I am overburdened, I am fatigued, I've got so much going on in my regular life that I need to cut back on something. And why is it we always cut back on Jesus? I will never understand why we, self-included, cut back on Jesus. We're like, something's got to give. You know why we cut back on Jesus? Because we know he'll give us grace. You know you can't cut back on your job, or you can't cut back on your mom, or you can't cut back on whatever commitment you've made, but you know that at the end of the day, if you cut back on Jesus and you ask for his grace, that Jesus will give it to you, and we take advantage of that. We take advantage of that. There have been times where I was so close to burnout. I was running on empty, and I would say to God, God, you got to do something because I am empty here. you got to fill me up give me something. Refresh me somehow. And then I get a call that i got to go visit somebody in the ICU, and I'm like, Really? That is not what I was looking for. Because now I gotta go down to Charlottesville. I gotta battle UVA parking at the medical center. I gotta find where this person is. I gotta go up. You gotta scrub up like you're going to the moon. Right? You gotta wear a mask. I gotta wear like gloves that never fit over my rings. All got all kinds of issues. You're wearing something that's highly functional but not fashion forward. And then you go into the room and somebody in the ICU is sick. Right? This is not where you choose to go and be like happy and blessed by our Lord and Savior. And so I will go into the ICU. And I went this one time into the ICU, and I'm all gowned up and sleeved up and all this kind of stuff. And I don't like wearing the hairnet thing either. Like, it's just it's not a good day. I'm like, Jesus, look what you did. And then I get in there, and Jesus had been waiting for me. I got in there, and I had this incredible encounter with the person who was sick was really a healing moment, a bright, shiny day. And if I had said to myself, I need Jesus on my terms, and you know what, Jesus, I want to see you, but I want to see you over there at Crozet Creamery. I don't want to see you down in the ICU. I get blessed a lot at Crozet Creamery, but it's not by Jesus. That's nothing against Crozet Creamery. But when we ask for Jesus, when we commit like Thomas, Jesus shows up. If we stay committed Imagine if Thomas had said, I'll believe if Jesus shows up, but I'm only going to give him 48 hours. He got 48 hours, and then I'm out. It took Jesus a week. Why it took Jesus a week, we don't know. I suspect it's a very Job answer of, that's not your business where I've been for a week. But when Jesus shows up, he delivers exactly what Thomas asked for, the encounter, the experience of the risen Christ. He gets it. He didn't get it when he wanted it or how he wanted it, but he got it. And it was so powerful and profound, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And it's a paragon text. Christians all over the world, this is the lectionary text for the day. They are listening to this story. And unfortunately for Christianity, we spend too much time maligning him because he didn't believe. It's not that he didn't believe. He wanted it for himself. It's bold to say, this is what I want. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. 
forgive us of our trespasses. trespasses. It's not, God, if you feel up to it and you feel like I've been all right, will you please give me something to eat today? Give us this day our daily bread. And not, God, if you can find it in your heart some way, somehow to forgive me for that thing I said when I was angry. Forgive us. If you ask, God will do. That is what God says repeatedly throughout the scriptures. If you ask, I will do it for you. If you want this, it shall be yours. And we don't often pay attention to what happened after the apostles received the Holy Spirit and went out into the world. In fact, Thomas becomes one of the most successful ones. He will journey from this encounter and this incredible experience he has with the risen Christ. He will journey to India, going all the way down to the southern tip of Tiruvala. And there he will fund and find and find disciples and make a new denomination called the Mar Toma. And they still exist. They have a patriarch in charge who is called the Mar Toma. And I had the opportunity to encounter them when I was traveling around India with my other seminarians in 2008. And there I met this man who embodied Thomas. He knew that if you ask God to show up, God shows up. He knows that Christ is resurrected and Christ is living. And all of those Mar Toma who are still there in India today, they're a small subset of Christianity, but they are active and enlivened. They are very much engaged in ministry to the poor and the suffering and the impoverished. They are doing exactly what Jesus told us to do. They heard the Great Commission and they are living it out. And Thomas is the reason that they are doing it. They're even named for him. So he was successful. He took this encounter and he did something that has changed lives. And if we are willing to ask for an encounter and stay committed, then we too will not only see Christ, experience Christ, but be given gifts and gifts to share. We will have the opportunity to become the disciples that Jesus deserves and that somewhere, if we're honest with ourselves, we yearn to be. If we are truly honest, there is no Christian anywhere that doesn't want to make Jesus proud. We want God to look at us and go, I am well pleased with you. You have done a good job. Despite all of our mistakes and our sinfulness and our self-will and our self-righteousness, we want God to look down on us and be proud of who we are and what we do to build the kingdom here. And Jesus says, I will be part of that with you. I will work with you to do this. But the thing is, we've got to get out of our own way. Because I could have totally let that morning experience taint everything that happened. And it kind of bled over when I got the final numbers. And I was like, are you kidding me? Maybe if she had shown up early. Well, it didn't matter if she had shown up early because she still didn't have enough supplies. We did the very best that we could. And it's not that it wasn't enough. It's not that it wasn't enough. We are going to send 29,814 meals to Haiti. People who are radically impoverished. The level of poverty that the United States does not know. And these people, for once a day, at least, are going to have a meal. Because some American Christians and their communal friends decided that it was worth it to spend several hours on a Saturday, a beautiful Saturday, standing or sitting and scooping in rice and crude protein and dehydrated vegetables and weighing it and sealing it and packing it into boxes for people that we will never meet 
on this side of the kingdom. For people that we might never hear a thank you from or people we might never know their individual stories. But God knows. And these are the same people who are crying out through their faith, show us Jesus. Show us Jesus. And in the United States where most of us don't have to worry about our next meal, we forget that sometimes Jesus shows up in the meal. Jesus shows up in Holy Communion. Jesus shows up repeatedly in the scriptures by feeding the 5,000. He shows up to feed people. And in that, they recognize him. The apostles, it says, they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. When some of them got disheartened right before the Great Commission in the Gospel account of Matthew, they decided to go back to fishing, and they're out on the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing. And that's when they hear the guy on the beach is like, fish on the other side. And they're like, who is this guy? Because they can't yet see it's Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they hoist up the fish, and they recognize it's Jesus. And they're like, it's Jesus. And Peter jumps into the water and swims out onto the shore. And the rest are like, we'll just take the boat. And they get over to the shore. And you know what he's doing? He's having a fish fry for them for breakfast. He's feeding them. When we feed people, there's something miraculous where they can see Christ. And because people showed up and were willing to give their faith form yesterday, thousands and thousands of people are going to see Jesus Christ. And they have been yearning for him. They have been crying out for them, him with their tears, with their mouths, with their prayers, the groaning of their stomachs, the aching of their malnourished bodies. They have been crying out for Christ to show up, and he's showing up now. If we are committed, if we ask, we shall receive. We can see Jesus Christ. I have experienced it time and time again. And it is just human hubris to think that I can shape how God is going to show up for me. God never shows up in an unexpected cookie delivery. God never shows up when I'm like, I don't want to go to the hospital today. I think I'll just wander over to Crozet Creamery and see if I can have a God moment. That's me trying to put a fence around how I want God to respond. And yet, when I'm willing to say, I'm too tired, I'm too exhausted, I'm too cranky, I might even be hangry. But I'm going to go do what you told me to do because I did promise you that I would visit the sick and the imprisoned, Lord. And so when you send me to the ICU, I'm going to go. And when I get there and I'm miserable, and yet there is Jesus waiting for me all this time. Is this not the story of the scriptures over and over again? Think about that Samaritan woman who showed up at the well. In the hot and misery of the day, she showed up at the well, and who was waiting for her? Jesus. We have to stay the course. Easter is a season in the church. I mean, you'll notice that it's a little different up here. You know, all of the garden flowers are gone. It's a, it's a little more sedate than it was on Easter. I mean, we still have our resurrection lilies. They're still here. We still have the white pyramids. They're still hanging out. But you have to search a little harder now to feel the Easter. You got to look a little deeper to see it, but it's still here. And that is the lesson for those of us. It's easy enough to say, had Easter, see it at Christmas. And there are hundreds of people that will do that. But I've also noticed that because faith and evangelism is a marathon and not a sprint, that now that I've had three Easter's with you, that I start to see the same people. I only see them on Easter, but I see them. And they come back and they bring their kids. And then the kids, they used to sit there and be like, who is this crazy lady? Well, now talk a little bit, right? 
and it's probably going to take more Easter's. But I hope that one day it won't just be Easter, that they'll come on another day. But because we keep showing up on Easter to show them Jesus Christ, they keep coming back. Then it's hard because how many of us are like, why do they only show up on Easter? Why are there people that only show up on Christmas and Easter? That's lazy. Right? We all feel that because we're grinding out here Sunday after Sunday. We're out here, whether we feel good about it or not, we're out here doing what we're supposed to be doing because we've encountered Jesus Christ and we know that this is what God asks of us and we're here. And how can other people get away with just doing Christmas and Easter? That's lazy. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But there are things in my life that I'm lazy about. And I remember very clearly that Jesus said to them, if you choose to forgive, then they'll be forgiven. And if you choose not to, then they won't be forgiven. That's a lot of power. It's been abused. It's a lot of power. But imagine if we wanted to be forgiven for everything we ever did wrong, that we have to forgive everybody everything they ever did wrong. Because it's not here, but it's in another gospel where Jesus says, the standard by which you judge others, I will judge you. So if you only want to forgive people 10% of the time, you're only going to get forgiven 10% of the time. But if you want to be fully forgiven, then you better fully forgive. And that's part of the work too. That is part of the hard work that we have here. So as we continue to journey through this season of Easter and through this series that is focused on what do we do now that Christ is risen, I hope and pray that we will be committed, that we will double down on our intention to stay the course, that we will not go, you know what, Jesus, I'm giving you two weeks and then I'm out. But instead, like Thomas, we will say, I want this so bad I'm committed to this. And then with great expectation and hope, we will wait to see what God will do next. Because God has proven time and time again that God will come to us and be at work for us. He came to Mary Magdalene when she was mourning. He came to the apostles when they were in that room. And he came back for Thomas. He keeps coming back. And when we ask, he will never stop coming back for us. Isn't that a joyful thing, always and everywhere. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.